This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, real quick before we get started on the show, I'm just going to talk about Treeline Academy. You've heard me say it. I can't even tell you how many times. Um, Mark Livesey is treelineacademy.net. That's treelineacademy.net. Sign up. Use the promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20 bucks. Can't say it enough. It's awesome. Amazing. Most comprehensive e-scouting course out there. Check it out for yourself. Sign up. Use promo code PC2020. And now let's get to the show. All right, so I'm sitting here, and I am talking to Robbie Denning. And Robbie, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, uh, Robbie Denning. I live here in southeast Idaho. Um, father of three, happily married, all that good stuff. Love hunting big mule deer. So how did – I'm kind of curious, Robbie. How did the whole quest for mule deer, deer start? Was it always mule deer? Was it elk? Were you raised on something completely different? Did you grow up out west? Yeah, yeah. Born and raised right here. I live about a mile from the house I was born in, so haven't made it very far. Um, and my dad was was a big buck hunter. Southeast Idaho was really good back in the – I was born in 69, and it was really good there, 60s, 70s, even into the 80s, kind of like a lot of places. And, you know, that's just what dad liked. I mean, he hunted other stuff too. You know, we, we archery hunted elk, and, you know, dad was always bear hunting in the springs and stuff. Um, but it was really, you know, big bucks that he was the most excited about. So that got me 
fired up about them. And, and then when I was about 20, I met Kurt Darner and that really lit me on fire. He was the author of uh, how to find giant bucks and been kind of a controversial guy, but still, you know, totally legit deer hunter. There's no doubt. And, um, I just, I just got fired up about it. So just as I got older, you know, I, I had to pretty much focus on mule deer, you know, a super busy guy, you know, running a couple of companies and just trying to do all the things the guy's got to do to make a living really is what it gets down to. And so I just gave up everything else um, because mule deer just required that kind of focus to do, to do well out. They're pretty hard. And I think they're getting harder too right now. Um, we're just kind of in a down cycle right now due to, you know, hard winters and just access to tags has been tougher. That's probably the biggest part of it. Um, so, you know, it just, it just takes everything I got and, and, you know, some guys are really good at hunting, hunting multiple species. And but I just found, I always felt like I wasn't giving it my best shot at the end of the year. And, you know, I archery hunting elk. I didn't, I mean, I, it wasn't that hard. I didn't think, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I wasn't killing a bunch of big bulls or anything, but it wasn't hard to fill a tag. And I got kind of bored with that. You know, I think I killed four elk in four years or four and five or something like that. And, that's back when compounds only shot about 40 yards. And so I, I just really wanted to do better at buck hunting is, and you know, nobody was archery hunting bucks back then. I mean, hardly anybody. And, uh, so as I got into that, it just took a lot of time. And, and, and as I've gotten older too, I'm, you know, and I think it was this way when I was younger too, I just didn't pay as much attention to it is, is it just takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot out of you. And, um, you know, I mean, there was one hunt I went on this year, 11 days. I was there nine of them all by myself, 12 miles in no human contact other than through my inReach Cause there was hardly any cell cell service there. And, you know, it's not like it's super, I don't want to make it sound like it's super physical. I mean, for some guys it is, but I sit on my duff a lot in glass and, um, you know, I use horses. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not having to transport myself from hunt area to hunt area. You know, I use a horse for that, you know, I only maybe hike, you know, one to three miles a day. Usually if I'm hiking more than that, I'm just walking past the deer. But, but what I find is when I do that is I'm tired when I get home, I'm really tired and I need to, I just need to regenerate. You know, I don't, I don't feel like going hunting. I don't want to go hunting. I don't even want to say the word hunting. You know what I mean? That's just where I used to just like try to push myself through it. And, you know, when I was trying to hunt everything and, oh yeah, man, I got elk season's open this weekend, man, we got to go, we got to go. And I just wouldn't end up enjoying myself. If you know what I mean? Oh, we're now, man, I'm, I'm either hunting or I'm resting from hunting, you know, in the fall. That's, that's, and that's been good for me. You know, I can get, get charged up and, you know, I usually hunt somewhere between 30 and 50 days, you know, which isn't a ton, but I, I just, I want to be sharp when I'm doing it. And, and when I'm tired and when I'm worn down and, you know, you, you, you would think you always want to be there, but you don't always want to be there if you're tired, you know, and I just find I'm not giving it my best if I'm, if I'm not just focused on it. And, and that's just me. That's just kind of how I'm built. You know, other guys are totally different. I know guys that go from hunt to hunt to hunt and they do just fine. Yeah. No, I, I find myself, especially if I'm solo hunting and there's nobody to share the burden of the work or different things, um, you know, that just little trivial chores that you don't realize until you're doing it all by yourself but after a while I find myself kind of getting a little bit burned out 
and I almost tell myself yeah. in my head, it's like, <sighs> I need to go back to work just so I can kind of recover yeah. or recoup, you know, and it's kind of sad to say that you're, yeah. you're wanting to go back to work, but then I find myself, I get back to work for about a week and get back in the groove and realize how irritated I get and everything gets on my nerves and I want to get back out in the woods again. So yeah. Yeah. It's a we vicious, it's a vicious cycle, you know? <laughs> yep. But same, same thing, dude, that first, that, that first, that last day before the hunt, I can't wait to get off work. And then that first day I'm back to work, it, it just feels like a little bit of a rest. You know, I can kind of shut my mind off, but, but yeah, it only takes about a week I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. fired up and ready to go again. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. so, but that ties into what we were talking about before, because, you know, back in, back in the nineties, you know, archery elk season opened August 30th and deer season. So, you know, I, I try to hunt deer and then, you know, as the elk got bugling, I try to do that. You know, so by the end of September, you know, I'd hunted every weekend, probably another full week somewhere in there. And then our rifle deer season opened October 5th. So it's just a couple of days off and boom, you're, you're rifle hunting. And then elk opened October 15th. And, and, you know, so then that was going and, and it just, I just decided you know, that's just too much. I'm not doing a good job at any of it. And, um, so now I just, Ideally for me, if I can put about a week or two between hunts, especially long hunts, you know, eight, 10, 12 days, you know, maybe even two weeks between hunts. Um, and I, I've had a couple of falls where it just fell together. You know, I hunted, you know, 10, 12 days in September, had a couple of weeks off, 10, 12 days in October, a couple of weeks off, 10, 12 days in November, a couple of weeks off. That was about right, you know, rested, ready to go, fired up. And, and also I'm not the kind of guy that can just leave everything undone at home. You know, I can't just leave everything a wreck. I have 30 employees, you know, busy, busy wife, family, got to make sure everything's kind of set up. And so, you know, having that little bit of extended time when I'm home too, just, just kind of helps to keep things running. You know what I mean? Yep. So I got to ask you though, how, how do you keep, uh, your wife happy? And I'm sure your kids are kind of older by now, but uh, what was it like when they were younger and what'd you do to uh, kind of keep her happy and sane while you were out there and gone for 10 days at a time? You know, um, I, my wife um, is, I just, I just married right. And, <laughs> you know, she just, we only dated six months and um, she, she knew me through one hunting season and I didn't want to be the kind of guy that's like, Hey, this is me. You just have to accept it. You know, I just didn't want to be that way, but, but you know, I just tried to let her know this is kind of, this is kind of how I roll. And, and I remember I'd get home from hunting and she did, she wasn't a hunter. I mean, her dad hunted a little bit, but you know, she just didn't have that kind of a background. He wasn't like crazy over the top like I was, but she was just a, she's just a good lady. And, <laughs> and she was just excited for me to go. And, you know, I, I, I lived about eight miles from her. She lived in town. I lived out in the country. And I remember one night I got home, I'd been gone like 10 days and, you know, it's just crappy cell phones back then. Just, just I maybe got a hold of her one time, the whole time I was on the hunt, you know, there was no in reaches or anything like that. And I don't know. I just remember thinking, She's probably thinking I'm just so lame. And I got home and, you know, I, I called her and, hey, I'm, I'm out here. I got home, got the horses put away. And she's like, oh, I'm just going to come out. I'm just going to come see if it's okay. And we were just talking about this the other night. <laughs> and and because, you know, my kids were 
we're just talking about our marriage. Come on, mom, mom, and you are happy. You know, what are some of your happy times? And I was telling this, I said, I remember when she drove all the way out here, like, you know, late at night, she had to work. She was a high school counselor, had to work the next day. And she was so excited to see me. And I remember thinking, this is great. You know, (laughs) I've been hunting and she was just really cool about it, especially the fact that she didn't really understand it. Like (laughs) for some of her questions were like so funny. Like, so where do you go to the bathroom? (laughs) Like you're in the woods, you go anywhere you want. (laughs) I mean, just funny, the funniest stuff, you know? And, and, um, you know, like, I I think that it was either that trip or another trip. Like I didn't get a deer, but she was like, but isn't it like a lot harder if you get a deer? Isn't it like better if you don't get one? I'm like, well, I guess you could look at it that way. <laughs> just, just innocent, you know, just really innocent about it, but, but endearing. And so, so to answer your question, she's just a good lady. And I remember like, dude, we had twins and that is hard. And, you know, I cut back as much as I could and, you know, when I did go hunting, I, you know, my, my mom lived in Arizona, you know, say we were so freaking poor back then i still i still got together enough money to 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 get her up here and to help my wife because i think i was going to colorado that year and i remember my my mom who's a big supporter of me was like you have got a genuine wife you know what she said about you when you were gone i said what's that and 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 they were just talking about it and she's like it's so cool that you're okay with robbie hunting and everything and jody just said you know what he needs to be happy too this isn't just about me and so my mom kind of relayed that back to me. And I just thought, you know, that's why we're happily married. You know, yeah. it's not this, it's not this thing that it has to be like, this is what I do and I'm going to hunt, you know, you woman, you stay, you know I mean? God, I would never want to treat anybody no. that way, but you know, she just, she just, she just, just what she said, it's not just about her that I have to be happy to. And so, you know, she was willing to suffer some so that I could do what I want to do. And so to answer your question, I just make sure she's taken care of, man. That's yep. what I do. I, I did it when I was dirt poor and, and, and I do it now. I, I just make sure that, you know, she's the things that she cares about. I try to make sure they're taken care of. If she wants to have a garden, I go cut a spot out of the lawn and make a little place for her to have a garden. If if she needs a better car, we figure out how to get her a better car. Um, and then some of just the day-to-day stuff, I just make sure I listen to her. I mean, and I've not always been that good at it, but you know, I'm a busy guy, dude. I got a lot of stuff going on, you know, just phones going on constantly emails. And so I just always try to let her to know that, Hey, sometimes I can't, I can't, you know, girls have a lot of words, as you know, like, <laughs> I don't have as many words as you, but I want to hear everything you got to say. But sometimes I, I just can't do it right then. But I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you my ear. Don't worry about it. And, and so I do, I try to make sure, you know, it's not every day and, you know, she doesn't even really need it every day, but sometimes I'm just like, Hey, phone's gone, computer's off. What do you need? And then she just gets to talk. And so just, just things like that, man, it's just, I mean, we don't have a magic formula or anything, but, you know, we just, we just try to take care of each other's needs and, and it's reciprocal. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, that, that's great. And it kind of, I mean, it kind of parallels mine, but not quite because my wife and I dated for like 
six years she was getting she's like when is he ever gonna ask me to marry him it just got to Mm -hmm. you know we were together Mm -hmm. so so long but like we'd go to our 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 couples counseling at the at the church before we got married and all those things and they did these compatibility quizzes and different things and they're like how i've never had somebody score so high uh, you know, you guys just align with your views and everything. And we're like, well, uh-huh. you know, we've been together so long. I mean, we kind of figured each other out by uh-huh. now and we, we, we just know it. But my buddy, it, it's funny, just today or yesterday we were talking at work and he's like, you know, you've got a, you've got a pretty made. You pretty much do whatever you want. And I'm like, well, I also do whatever she wants to an extent too, to where, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a give and take. I think that's important. And a lot mm-hmm. of people don't realize that they just take, take, take. And then that whole relationship uh, gets strained because of that. Now, I know during, while I'm hunting, I mean, there's definitely times where it's trying and she's putting the kids to bed because I'm coming home and it's, you know, bedtime and they're little mm-hmm. or whatever. But but it's, I mean, we, we try and make it work and she realizes that sometimes if, if you look at the grand scheme of things, it seems so terrible in the moment, but it's only 14, 15, you know, whatever days or 20 days for an entire year and then it's over. It's gone in an instant, right. and then and then it's back to normalcy again. And I think that's hard sometimes for a lot of people to grasp. But in in the scheme of things, yeah. it's not that bad. But my wife grew up in town and all that kind of stuff too. And I I'm a country boy, and and at first she was like, I'm not moving to the country. I don't want to do that. And next thing you know, we get out here, and she's like, I think we need to move further out. Like, can, is there somewhere mm-hmm. else where we mm-hmm. can go? And now she's at the point where she wants to move to like. She goes, I I honestly don't care if we move somewhere to where we go out west or North Dakota or something where it's, mm-hmm. you know, two hours to a grocery store as long as I don't ever see a traffic or a stoplight again. And I was like, wow. okay, well, you know that. <laughs> might be able to happen honey but so it's it's interesting to see how they change and i I tease her all the time and tell her you know before you know it you're gonna start hunting and she's like no no i'm good could happen (laughs) it could could happen yeah has your wife ever showed any interest in it or you just ever take her out nope she's gone Uh uh-huh yep 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 she's gone with me a few times and you know she's woodsy she loves she likes backpacking and hiking and stuff like that but you know, the overnight stuff and all that. She's not totally into that. And, you know, she could never kill an animal. You know, she's just not, she's just not there. You know, she's not against it by any means. She gets it. And, um, uh, I get, she could kill a mouse. If a mouse ran through the house, she hates him so bad. She'd stomp that sucker into, into hell. But, <laughs> um, but no, she, she, she would, she wouldn't hunt, but, but that's, what's so cool about her is like, she just, you know, she understands it's important to me and that's that, you know, that's as much as that's as much as she needs to know. Like he likes it. So, you know, I'll support him on it. And, um, I'm just a lucky man, dude. I really am. Every time I tell that story, I think about just, she's pretty dang awesome. And, you know, and it makes me want to treat her well, you know, yeah. I know she's makes made sad. I mean, you know, I'm gone 10, 12 days ago. We got teenagers that our twins are 15. Um, our daughter's 19. Um, she's in college and working and, you know, but Liz still lives with us. And so, you know, it's Jody's running the house when I'm gone and it's hard, you know? And, um, but she, she's, she, she wants to, and, and, and I just wish she told my mom it's, I want him to be happy too. So of course I'm going to try to keep her happy. That's awesome. That's, that's a great thing to, you know, one, hear it, two, be able to reciprocate, and then yep. going forward, realize that, you know, that strong foundation is what carries you through even when it's tough, and then and then be able to just 
continue on like that. That's that's a good good dynamic to have. I wish more people could actually have that and, you know, not settle or not do things like that. So that's pretty good to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to ask you, though, Robbie, what kind of drove you? Like, I mean, is it high country mule deer or is it like ag mule deer? What kind of mule deer is your favorite type of uh, deer to go after? You name it, brother. <laughs> if they live there, I want to go. I had to pick one though. I, I love high country, open country where you can see deer, but that's gotten harder than ever the last 10 years. Cause that's where everybody's at. And, um, you know, I've, I've had some awesome low country stuff. I've seen some giant bucks in the low country. Some of this lower country that has a lot of cover actually has bigger bucks. I think, you know, maybe not as many nice bucks, but that seems like the one that ones that slip through and get a little older, just, just some giants. Um, you know, our deserts aren't very good around here, but I'm always scouting them. And I've seen some pretty nice bucks out there too, but I've never killed one on the desert. Um, but, but seriously, I like it all. I wish I could go to Mexico. I wish I could go to Canada. I wish, you know, I, 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 I would hunt it all. It, it, it's all awesome. For the most part, I'm hunting mountain mule deer though. You know, um, um, I like the back country, the horse, the whole horse angle. I really like that stuff. And, you know, that's, that, that's probably my favorite if I, if I have to just pick one, but, you know, I, I could see being an older guy that gets, that's going to get pretty dang tough. You know, that those, those were big, steep mountains, even with horses. Yeah. So I got to ask you though, what, what's the biggest things you've seen change as far as like hunting from the time you were a kid to now, as far as like, just the direction of it, like, um, is it still the same motivations for people? Do you think uh, Instagram or anything like that has completely changed that? Do you think, you know, expectations versus reality have changed somewhat? Uh, what, what's kind of your perception on that? No. Um, I, people are people. And people were the same in 1970 as they are right now. All that social media done, has done is magnified it and um i you know when i in my my family my dad had three brothers so there's four of them you know he was on fire fired up about big bucks that's what he wanted to do his brothers were just kind of you know they they, they'd kill anything with with antlers longer than its ears you know and so fast forward to now it's kind of like it is now. I mean, a lot of the guys I meet, they don't really care about getting a great big buck, but then there's guys that are just, that's what they focus on. That's what they do. They throw everything they have at it. Um, you know, so I don't, I don't think it's that different there. Um, uh, all Instagram social media has done is connect everybody. You know, information travels a lot faster now than, than it used to. Um, so. I'm just not a doom and gloomer. I just <laughs> hunting's awesome. And some of the right. stuff I read about it, I mean, people are like, you know, F and social media has just ruined hunting. And I'm like, well, maybe, be, maybe because information travels so fast, like, you know, like Idaho just sponsored a, 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 a chronic wasting disease hunt where they had, they needed to harvest 87 deer and these three or four units. And they're going to issue either sex tags in December, which is like, has been open in December since the sixties. Right. And 
you know, they, they, it was for residents only. This just happened this week, by the way. And, um, had these 87 tags they put out there. Of course, you know, they put them on the internet, told everybody, look, you got to go to a regional office to buy these. Well, hundreds of people showed up, you know, guys are all pissed off, you know, hunting's ruined, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like, no, no, it's just information travels fast. A lot of people, you know, found out about it and, you know, but when I was a kid, late the late buck cut in 69, which is just east of us here, frick, you couldn't draw that tag. You put in for for 20 years, you still couldn't draw it. You know, and there was, you know, there was no social media then. There was no nothing. And uh, go read um, Ryan Hatfield's um, um, uh, Idaho's Greatest Mule Deer. And look at the the effort those guys were putting forth in the 50s and 60s and 70s to to kill big bucks. You know, I mean, driving from California, four guys in a in a in, in a single cab pickup drive all the way from ca- Southern California to Central Idaho to hunt bucks for a week with an eight foot bed on their pickup and they're all sleeping in it. I mean, they were as hardcore as anybody now, you know? And so, so, so I, I, I just, I just think all social media has done is you maybe made it a little more visible and people are more connected, but, but hunting's still hunting, you know, it's, um, and, 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 and this is what, I mean, I see some of the stuff people are saying about social media and it's just ruining hunting. And I'm like, yeah. And every year the number of hunters goes down and yeah, people are like, got bull crap, man. There's more people in my area than, well, Utah, for example, they peaked at 220,000 deer licenses. I think sometime in the mid to late eighties. So, so almost a quarter million, they issue 90,000 now. All right, they less than half of of what they used to, and and so, but yet, you know, ask any any Joe on the street. Oh yeah, more people now than ever. Well, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. <laughs> you know, I remember going up here in the '70s, just east of Idaho Falls, freaking pickups everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. And so, so if social media is getting more people into hunting, it's not offsetting the the loss in license sales. We're we're seeing nationally, you know, maybe, maybe Western hunting is really popular right now. And in certain areas, you know, you can't hunt and stuff like that. I get all that, you know, but, but the numbers don't lie. They keep putting them out and say, we're down, you know, two, 3 million hunters and people are like, ah, but those are just rabbit hunters. Yeah. But they're still hunters. That rabbit hunter is going to elect that Senator that may fight or not fight for, uh, for hunting. And that hundreds of dollars is still going to go to the same place that they've always gone. So, I mean, you know, Pittman Robertson for the ammo and all those other things that are funding efforts. So, you know, gear, everything. It's like, how can you complain about, even if there are more people, the success rate Mm -hmm. isn't going to go down. I mean, half, half, when 90% of the hunters are road hunters anyway, and aren't willing to mm-hmm. go back, you know, some people might be complaining about, you know, oh, the back country is more crowded than I've ever seen. Well, maybe it is a little bit because of technology, but that, that mm-hmm. social media isn't what's got them there. It's the technology that got them back there. You know, maybe social media, somebody inspired them to get back there, mm-hmm. but they still made the effort, you know? And, and Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. So, so, you know, it, it's changed, but it's still, it's still not that different to me, I guess, because, because people are people, you know, that's just, it's just, it's just what it is. And, um, you know, I, 
the whole the whole the one thing that has changed is and this to me is just the speed of the internet of of like i talked about that hunt they had in idaho this week and you know all of these people showed up for these licenses hardly anybody got them you know the draws are worse than they used to be there's no doubt about that um but that doesn't make the hunting worse you know that's just that's just more people you know putting in for hunts and everything because it because the access is easier i guess is what i'm trying to say it's easier to access that we have these research services now hunt and fool go hunt um, epic outdoors you know they'll do your applications for you you know i remember just in the 90s like i have to find the phone number of there was no internet. Like I, how do I find the number of the Colorado game and fish? I have to dial the operator and, you know, and, and, and get the number and then call them. And can you send me your proclamation of your seasons? And so then you wait a week and it comes and you go through it and you try to figure out, you know, what, what unit do I put in and, and you call and you, or you dude, I remember handwriting letters <laughs> biologists and so that's that's what kept the draws but they were they were crappy then they were not good there was still tons of hunts with less than 10 percent draws and um um and and that's has what's changed now as i mean i can just google colorado wildlife and there's the phone number i think they're the cpw now colorado parks and wildlife and dude, there'll be a guy answering the phone from, you know, seven in the morning to seven at night answering wildlife questions. And so that that's made it easier. But in a way, I'm kind of glad because what if it was still hard? What if there were more reasons for people not to hunt? We, we, we can't say we'd have more hunters. You know, and, and all these guys are like, yeah, but then only the serious guys would hunt. Well, there ain't enough serious guys to fund hunting. That's the problem. <laughs> There's not enough serious guys. Dude, I know a lot of guys that love to hunt, but if you go add up the actual days they get out a year, it's three or four. It's not that many, but they love it. They buy the guns. They buy, you know, maybe they don't buy Sitka, but, you know, they buy whatever Sportsman's Warehouse has. I mean, they're still supporting hunting. And so if it was just harder to get into hunting, like which is what a lot of people want, like what's the little, I see it on Instagram now, it's like de-glorify, demonetize. They have this little <laughs> saying on hunting, you know, and it's like, okay, we can do that. Maybe the draws will go up 20%, but everything, but what's it going to look like 25 years from now? You know, when my, my son's my age, you know, or close to it is, I just don't, I just don't think it's good to make something so exclusive and, and exclude so many people. I mean, it's something like 95% of Americans don't hunt now. The only reason we have legal hunting is because they're either not paying attention or they, they support it at some level because they know somebody, you know, they at least haven't shown up at the ballot, ballot box to vote it down. All that that's changing now is I think Washington yeah. just lost their spring bear hunter yeah my 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 state mixed up so you see what i mean is is yeah. is, is there strength in numbers and so i'm always going to be pushing for the numbers and um so you know with hunting now i can still go be alone for the most part if i work hard i can get away from a lot of people and still find 
you know, decent animals and all that stuff, you know, it, 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 it's, it, it's still available is what I'm saying. And so, um, you know, I'm just rambling here, but, but <laughs> it's, it's different, but I, I just don't think that the sky is falling. I say that on a lot of podcasts. I just don't think the sky is falling, but if you, if you want it to fall, yeah, we can find all kinds of horrible things, I guess. But that's, I mean, you can find all kinds of horrible things and everything, right? There's, there's a dark side of life and there's mm-hmm. the light and which path people choose definitely determines, uh, you know, where, where, where they're going to go number one and however other people are going to perceive it. So, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's everything, you know, and, and I, I find it funny because I don't really, maybe I just don't pay attention that much to what's going on on social media and other things, even though I'm on it, right. I'm active. I'm doing things, you know, for the podcast and all other things. I just don't pay attention. Like there's that make hunting great again, uh, page or whatever on Instagram. And they're, they're always posting stuff. And I'll, I message him all the time. Like, what is this story? Who's this person that you're referring to? Or if there's somebody that does something that I do see, I'm like, who is this person? You know, why are they popular or famous? And, and mm-hmm. he'll tell me most of the time, but it's like, how do I not know all of this? I guess it's because mm-hmm. I just don't get wrapped up in it. I don't put people mm-hmm. on a pedestal. I don't try and, you know, you know, I'm not idolizing anybody or anything like that. You know, if they're, they're a great hunter or something like that, I follow them and then, you know, try and see what they're doing. But it's from a learning aspect. It's not because I think they're just, oh, the greatest person in the world. They're a great hunter, mm-hmm. you know, and I want to learn something from them. But other than that, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't know. It's a weird dynamic for sure for the whole social mm-hmm. media thing. But yeah, social media is just like, people because social media is people people are not all good people are not all bad <laughs> I and so say. on social media that's kind of you know i mean people put out their best face on social media but we all have warts and so you know if any of that comes up you know people like to pounce on that and and uh so you know you're probably smart if you're not paying too much attention to it and i know that i don't pay as much attention to it as i used to and and that's one blessing about being busy is I just can't burn a bunch of time on it. And it's not very, oh, what's the, what's the word edifying? You know, if you spend too much time on it, what I like about social media is I can stay connected to people and I love people. I can, I can, I can um, see cool, cool, big bucks on, on social media. That's probably 60% of my motivation right there. I just want to see what, what are people getting? You know, what's going on? What's the trends? Like, like this year on the Arizona strip, you know, these people I'm following, man, I'm not seeing very many big bucks come off the Arizona strip this year. That's interesting to me. You know, maybe I'm just missing a few here and there. I don't know, but you know, usually there's just giants showing up in my feed. I'm not seeing that right now. And, um, and so that, you know, social media just helps me feel a little, a little bit more connected, but you know, the, there was, there's, there's been three hunts I've had in the last two years where I was over 10 days with no cell service, only in reach. Um, uh, one, one Nevada hunt, one Colorado hunt, one Idaho hunt, just, just the way it ended up. And, um, and dude, you know what, that was awesome to unplug. And I noticed when I came back, I almost had to force myself to get in, to get on social media. Like it was easy to stay off of it, you know, where, where, you know, when you've been, when I've been home a while and I'm just looking at it every day, it almost becomes my routine. Like, Oh, what's going on? You know, and, 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 and I, and I own half a rock slide, you know, huge hunting social media site. And, and 
I like, like, I need to check Rockslide. I, I work there. I, I've got to make sure the forum's not blowing up, <laughs> you know? And, and, but when I'm home, you know, I'm just used to, I mean, I've probably been on there eight times today. Um, um, and, and so what my point is, is that, you know, when, when you get away from it, you kind of realize there's a lot more to life than just staring at my screen. You know, it's, it's not that hard to break away from it. I tell my kids that all the time, you know, you should, you should fast from those things. You should put them away for a while. My daughter did it a couple times this summer. She was just like, I'm not no Instagram this week. And, and she would, or it's not even Instagram. One of the kids, TikTok. Um, <laughs> That's even, and more she was mindless. the same. She, I know exactly. Just, just everything's videos. Just, just everything's videos. And, uh, but she said the same thing. Like, yeah, it was, wasn't that hard after a day or two, you know? And so, so for when we're finding our identity and all that stuff, and then we're spending all our time on it, it just can't be good. Right. I no, mean, no, definitely. but, not. but it's also not like, Hey, social media is of the devil. You can have, you know, you can't have, no, that's not good either. You know, I mean, there's some good things. That, there's some good stuff in it. You know, there, well, there really is. I mean, that's like you and I, for instance, probably wouldn't have ever connected unless I, you know, wrote you an email or something like that without social media. So, I mean, it's definitely got its benefits and I've connected with some just, you know, truly amazing people and, and made some actual friends that, you know, uh, and, and most of the stuff, honestly, that pops up in my feet is hunting. You know, I mean, I got rid of Twitter because it was too toxic for me. Anytime, me too. anytime there was, uh, something going on or something, I, I felt compelled that I had to comment on it. And then I was like, this is ridiculous. What does it even matter? What, what am I proving by, by putting my voice out there on, on social media and, and voicing an opinion on something that it doesn't matter if I want to make a difference, go out in the world and actually make a difference. Use my voice yep. for something that's good instead of, you know, putting it on a screen to where everybody can see it and read it and maybe throw it back in your face 10 years from now. So I just, I completely got rid of it. And, and that's probably one of the better things I've done. Um, but have you ever heard of the comfort crisis with uh, Mike, no. Mike, Michael Easter wrote it and, and it's pretty remarkable the different things that he goes into, but basically the humans are too comfortable with being comfortable right now in our lives. We've got no discomfort, no challenges, nothing that, yep. I mean, we go from climate control to climate control in our car and then get out for a few minutes or whatever. And some people, I mean, they don't even go outside. As hunters, we get to enjoy that so much more than anybody else and, and that break. But there's a thing he talks about, about how much people use their phones and are addicted to social media and the dopamine hit that they get from it, even though it's just a little micro dose every time, but it keeps them addicted. And it's like, 22,000 times on average or something like that, the, the human the average person touches their phone. And I mean, that's just mm -hmm. sickening and how much they're on social media. But then it goes even further and talks about um, the three-day effect. And, and scientists have actually studied it. And three days in nature without any electronic devices or anything can have lasting impact on your body's health and, and mental state or, or mental state of being for like, Yep, an entire month or something like that. I mean, it's yep. crazy, dude. That, that just what I said yeah. on those three hunts. Yeah, I I felt better. I you do. You're just you're more clear thinking. You're not just worried about where your phone is. And it, 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 it I completely agree with that guy. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. A lot of the stuff uh, that he talks about, and I mean, it goes into detail. But it's really neat to to see that and then put that into effect. And it's like, so this year I made a point to myself that I was going to limit my phone usage while I was hunting because let's face it, mm -hmm. like whitetail hunting especially is just passing time and doing an all day sit. You're going to look at your phone yep. a little bit, but I did 
take off like Instagram and everything off my phone. So that way I didn't have that. I didn't have that feed or all that kind of stuff. So if I did something, it was just texting my wife or a friend or something real quick or taking a picture. And then I tried to just put it right back in the pocket and then go hours without it. But I noticed a huge difference. I noticed Mm -hmm. that, that, that clear thinking and just a relaxed, you know, state of mind. And it was, it was kind of nice. Like I told my wife, we went to a real crazy uh, kid's Christmas party and it was just chaotic and loud in there and way too many kids for the size of the room to just, you couldn't hear anything. And Santa came and you couldn't hear anything at all. And I told her, I was like, all the benefits I've had from being out there and hunting, I think they all just went away right now today. So, So, yeah, but, um, I got to ask you though, a little bit more about mule deer hunting. Like what, um, if somebody were to try and get it, cause I've never mule deer hunted ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even know, like other than the fact that driving out to Colorado, going elk hunting, I probably seen one of the biggest mule deer I've ever seen on the side of the road in the lowlands of, uh, of Colorado, right on the plains there. Mm-hmm. It was crazy, mm-hmm. but I mean, so if somebody were trying to get into mule deer hunting and do that, what kind of resources or, or information would you say they should definitely digest before they even, you know, try and learn the animal species or even what, what would you recommend to kind of learn the, the biology and things like that of the animal and, and behaviors? Read. Um, you know, we were talking about getting off social media and, and, you know, doing less of it. And, um, and, you know, I've, I've kind of got back into reading more books, you know, I've always read a few, but not a lot, but just books are, they, they, they engage the mind differently. And they're, you know, you, on social media, there's so many distractions, you know, messages coming in and jumping around, stuff like that. A book, you can just focus. And so, um, as I've kind of reconnected with books, I still think they're the gold standard for learning. Um, and you can read an article on the computer. I get all that, but the, the computer is, is still got distractions, notifications and, you know, the, the web, you know, I can jump over and check this stuff like that. So I would start just reading some of the classic mule deer books that are out there. Um, um, Dwight shoes, um, hunting, hunting, open country, mule deer, Walt Prothero's stalking trophy mule deer, Kurt Darner's hunting giant bucks. Um, the there's 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 other there are dozens of other ones out there i'm just not thinking of them off the top of my head david long's um, um hunting public land uh, mule deer the bottom line uh, his book the edge um, my book hunting big mule deer how to take the best buck of your life um dennis winch's um i can't remember the name of his book i reviewed it last year it's a good book um 40 years of, of, of trophy mule deer hunting, you know, and really good stuff, but just getting a hold of those and reading from a mule deer hunter's perspective and, and, and understanding, you know, their mindset. Um, the, there's a book that came out last year and I reviewed it on my blog and it's called, so you want to hunt the West for mule deer. It's by Daniel Brannigan. He's actually from my town and I didn't even know him (laughs) until this book came out, but he did a great job of, because he was from Michigan as well. Then he moved to Idaho about 20 years ago and he had to kind of unlearn all this whitetail stuff. And, um, he became very successful at hunting good mule deer bucks 
And um, so, so all those, all those resources is what I would dive into. And, you know, a lot of guys are still like, Oh, I don't read books. Well, and figure out how you spent 12 <laughs> years in school, go use it. Cause it's just, dude, you haven't yet heard me say, go join my forum and read the mule deer forum on rock slide. You should, that's a good part of it, but it's not focused learning. It's bits and pieces and, you know, stuff like that. It, it you know, monster muleys. That's a, that's a good mule deer website he's kind of the original uh brian Turner owns it and a good mule deer forum on there um but i think if that's all you do you're not getting the problem the problem with a forum is it's hard to tell the guys who know what they're doing from the guys who just sound like they know what they're doing you know what i mean oh yeah and so and, and not that some Yahoo can't write a book, but for, for the most part, see, you know, a book is hard to write. You got to really love it to do it. And, you know, they cost money, you know, all that stuff to write, you know, you don't just write a book for free. You know, I'm working on one right now, man. And, you know, I'm up to like 60,000 words. That's a lot of blood, sweat and tears. So usually if somebody has written a book, they are serious about the endeavor endeavor. And so, you know, by, by, by focusing on the books, I think that you're going to get it to, to, you're going to shorten the learning curve the most by, by doing that. And if, if all those books I just named, if people are like, what, 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 what did he say? You can either rewind the podcast or go check out my blog on rock slides called the rock blog. Just type in book reviews on there. I've done a ton of them. I've reviewed, I think every book I just mentioned, I've reviewed on there. And, um, you know, I, I really would start with those. Yeah, I, I mean, like you were saying, though, the bits and pieces and all that information, even though that's what people want these days, if you want to build a good foundation for something, you need a solid knowledge basis. You can't just get something that's, well, I'm going to take this little bit of information from this and this little bit of information mm-hmm. this, but you're not actually learning, you know, the biology, the terrain, the habitat, everything associated with that all in one place where it's kind of encompassing yeah. and then build upon that. And I think a lot of people, they get, they, you know, We'll call them battle scars, right? That they they want to take all these different things and just learn to run with it before they can even walk and fully understand it, or you know, have a conversation with mm-hmm. a guy like you on a higher level of you know knowledge of actually doing it, and and that builds you know a lot of scars rather than trying to mm-hmm. build that foundation first. So that's, I mean, I think that's super important. Yeah. My wife always used to make fun of me because I've got this giant shelf full of books and she's like, well, why don't you get rid of them? I was like, what if I want to pick it up and reread it? And she's like, why would you want to reread it? Yeah. I said, so I can reabsorb some of that information. You don't retain it all, you know? Right. And, and we don't read fiction. We read nonfiction. So <laughs> you yeah. read nonfiction multiple times. Fiction, yeah, typically you read it once and put it away. Yeah, definitely. That's for sure. <laughs> But so, I mean, is there any other, like, so once say somebody gets those books and they, you know, go to your blog or they listen to this podcast and they start digesting some of that information, is there somewhere where they can go where there's kind of like a higher level of that? Or or would you say that's like a great basis to start with? I think that's it. That's why I said it first. I, I would, I would probably start with, with, with those books. Um, you know, uh, probably Dwight shoes, hunting open country mules, or even though it's geared towards bow hunters, it still gives you a good feel of, of glassing and how mule deer behave. Um, my books kind of more of the angle. If you're after big deer, 
Although if you're not after big deer and you read my book, you're just going to shoot smaller deer faster is um, because, you know, the, the techniques you use on big deer, just, you know, they're, they're, they turbocharge your hunting for smaller deer. And um, uh, you know, that's, I, I would just start reading, you know, and, and just, there's so many books there to, you know, like David Long's edge. It's probably, you know, if you're going to archery hunt mule deer, that's a good one to go with. Um, you know, or Dennis Winch's book, it's, it's all, his is written almost uh, a geographically specific. He hunted a lot of the, the, the lower stuff in, you know, Southern Utah, you know, Northern New Mexico, you know, places like that. And, and so, you know, you need to, you need to kind of decide on where you're going to hunt on some of these books. Um, David's long first book, um, hunting open country or no, as it was called, um, public land mule deer, the bottom line, that one's kind of geared more towards the high country buck hunter, you know? And so it's, it's hard for me to tell you which one to start with because everybody's going to have a different background. If you are going to be coming from the East to hunt in the West, Brannigan's um, book, I mentioned, um, so you want to hunt the West for mule deer that that's the one I would recommend for a guy that's, that's maybe like you. And okay, now I want to make this transition over because he, 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 he undoes kind of how whitetail hunting, the parts of it that don't apply to mule deer hunting and how, why he struggled for a few years before he finally figured out, okay, this, I can ignore this have to pay attention to this stuff like that that's a really good one but you know somebody that's already living in the west and living in a great place to hunt mule deer you know they they may be able to go right straight to a western rider and do do just fine yeah so i gotta ask you though what like just on a quick breakdown of like some of the things that you know that are completely different as far as whitetail hunting versus mule deer what would like maybe a couple of those just kind of be um, from what I understand about whitetail hunting and, and reading Brannigan's book kind of helped me understand this a little bit more. It sounds like whitetail in most habitats are fairly evenly distributed, whether it's a low number of deer per square mile or a high number of deer per square mile in any certain geographical area. So let's just say, you know, uh, the, the southwest portion of michigan i don't even know where if maybe there's a lake there i don't know but <laughs> I, you know there's just some some something smaller than a state but bigger than a unit when i talk to whitetail hunters it sounds like they can find deer more evenly distributed through that geographical area where mule deer hunting there are large tracts of ground that have very few, if almost zero mule deer in them. And sometimes it's hard to tell those places apart than places that actually have a decent number of deer in them or even high numbers of deer. And this has to do with um, the habitat of mule deer. Mule deer are very migrational. Like some of our mule deer migrate a couple hundred miles. That's just, just mind blowing. They migrate over gigantic mountain ranges, you know, to go to winter ranges that are a hundred miles away. Well, that takes a long time for that to happen. So that deer, you know, is depending on your seasons, you know, it may be migrating across a couple of States and many different seasons, you know, sometimes their migrations start in September. 
and they migrate clear into November, you know, so there's two months there where they're one day they may move 15 miles. And so that's a big difference from whitetail hunting. Um, are the deer in Michigan migratory at all, or are they pretty much where they, where um, they are year round? So, yeah, like I live in Illinois, but yeah, in the Midwest in general, um, they, they kind of have a home range, right? And I, typically, mm-hmm. you know, it's a square mile or a couple square miles and they, they stay within that home range. Now, the only difference is, is when, uh, when the rut kicks in your bucks, your whitetail bucks can travel a lot further than that, you know, five, 10 miles even to try and, uh, find does to breed. So that's, that's about the only time you really get that, that long distance cruise. Gotcha. And, and, but when he might, when he moves five miles to check some does, there's another buck that also moved five miles and might even occupy the space that he left. Yeah. So you're, you're just getting a mixing of deer where we have deer that actually leave entire mountain ranges and units they leave them they're just gone and they just move and so i think that that is a a a big difference between mule deer hunting and whitetail hunting is that you can you can be an awesome hunter and you can actually go to where there are no deer we're talking to you know whitetail hunters that's a little bit harder to do Um, so i think that that would be one thing and then the other thing is is many of our mule deer live in either open or broken country especially compared to whitetail country now and I'm, now I'm not talking the ag country of the midwest i mean that's pretty open too you know i guess if you have eight foot tall corn it's not but then when they cut the <laughs> corn you know you you can see them you know the the deer move into the to the hedgerows and stuff but you know they're 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 sort of like the deer around here they're pretty open you know, you could, you could come here tomorrow and I could pick you up at the airport. We could drive up on the foothill and set up a pair of 15 power binoculars. And probably within five minutes to an hour, I can be showing you lots of mule deer. Okay. I might have to move a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to find them that way without ever even getting out of the truck. And, and, and so that's vastly different than whitetail hunting. Um, I listen, I, I, I read whitetail books too, because I think you can learn a lot from deer hunters. And I've read the Benoit brothers books and a, a few other whitetail guys that are lesser known. And then um, I follow how blood's podcast. So I listen to those guys talking about big woods, whitetails, and these guys don't even see the deer until they shoot it. You know, we're <laughs> mule deer, you know, I've killed bucks five days after I first seen them. It's taken that long to figure out how to kill them. Um, cause of the open country nature and, you know, they move and they hide and they're not out all the time. And, and so, you know, your strategy is often built around that is why it's called spot and stock. You're spotting them and you're stalking them. And sometimes the, 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 the amount of time between the spot and the stock, it can literally be days and, and sometimes even weeks, you know, um, um, a guy that, that Brian Turner that I mentioned that owns monster muleys, he killed a buck this year that he's been hunting for four years. And, um, I think he only saw it about six or seven times in four years, but when he saw it, it was always in the same geographical location, maybe a couple of basins and a ridge, you know, not big you know and 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 it took him that long to kill it and i don't even remember how many days he spent in the area like 40 50 a lot wow. and um and yet would see the deer but 
couldn't kill it, you know, just because of the way Mule Deer country is. And, you know, he's, he even it can be highly open, but you still can't see it all unless you're across the canyon. Then you can see the deer, but you can't do anything about it because he's 1800 yards away. And so those are, to me, those are some of the big difference between mule deer and, and whitetail. And it's, you know, and most of that's related to terrain, you know, how they, how they have to live. The reason they go on these long migrations is because the mountains get eight to 10 feet of snow. I mean, uh, you know, there's one mountain range east to here that has had 500 inches of snowfall in a, in a year, you know, what, what is that? Um, it's 50 inches of snowfall is four feet. So that's, uh, 40 feet of snow. I mean, that's a lot of flipping snow. And so, so, you know, that's what's making them migrate like that. They can't just stay there. And then there's other places too, where they just have seasonal migrations to follow, the, the 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 foods that they eat you know they they dry up in certain places and so they move to other places those are typically shorter migrations but they're 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 always moving about the only mig- non-migratory deer that we have are in arizona certain parts of it new mexico you know some of that lowland type deer stuff deserty deer you know they don't migrate much that's probably a little more um, geared towards whitetails and talking to the guys that hunt down there that are that, that do pretty good on them. A lot of times they they have whitetail tactics, you know, they're hunting blinds and, you know, um, they're hunting, um, the cover, you know, tracking, you know, things like that, um, because of the, where the deer live, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, no, I, I think that's like one of the things that makes me curious though, like, um, about how you were talking about what was the, there was a film if somebody wants to really check out like the migration and how, how far they truly travel. There's a, can't remember the number of the deer I watched it though. It's like deer number 209 or something like that. Right. To, to yeah. Um, Eastman's, um, who's a publisher out here. Um, they, they have that film on their YouTube channel. I think it's called Harold migrations. It's got the word peril in it. E R I L. And I think, I think that's the one you're talking about. And, and, and if it's not, it's Matthew Kaufman, K-A-U-F-F-M-A-N. He's a researcher out of Wyoming and he's tracking those deer, um, with radio GPS radio collars. And I think one of them is number 209 or whatever you just said. Yeah. I can't remember, but it was a a doe, a mule deer doe that they tracked in like hundreds hundreds and hundreds of miles i don't know maybe even thousands mm-hmm. it was ridiculous how far its migration range was and it did it like year after year or something it's crazy just the, yeah her name to... was jet her name was jet and she lived um she wintered on the um the winter range that's down by rock springs wyoming and um it might have even been east of rock springs and then um and if it wasn't jet, it was, it was out of that research study. So people give me a little grace if I'm getting my deer mixed <laughs> up, but off of that winter range, that deer migrated all the way through Western Wyoming up into um, Southeastern Idaho, where I'm at and Eastern Idaho, and then went North of me over the Tetons. So let me back up a little bit. I got my state. She stayed on the Wyoming border side 
and then went over the Grand Teton. So Grand Teton is 13,000 feet. Now she didn't go right over that one, but she went over that range in mean, the top of that range, a bunch of it's like 10, five, 11. She went over that and then dropped down into Idaho um, and summered in a place called Island Park, which is about 90 miles north of me. And that migration, I think was about 150 miles. And she did it a couple of years in a row. And then she didn't make it over the Tetons, I think, last year. Uh, she had her fawn on the Wyoming side. And, you know, there was speculation, maybe she's getting older, you know, who knows, stuff like that. But, 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 but yeah, we're, we're, even if we don't have the right numbers and deer names and everything, we're talking about the same study that they're doing. And it's, it's pretty dang impressive. Yeah, no, that's pretty neat to see. And not only that, it gives you kind of perspective of, so you can kind of figure out once again how we were talking about trying to figure out the animals and and you know where they can be at certain times of the year and trying to figure out okay well if you're here and there's no deer here obviously you're in the wrong range and trying to figure out browse and all that kind of stuff it can go pretty deep is there any kind of like research or anything you'd recommend for somebody to read as far as uh different browse or something no, I don't know the plants of the mule deer either. I, I know very few of them. Um, antelope, bitterbrush, um, um, and sage. I mean, just the basics is all I know. I know what it looks like, but I don't know the names of it. And this is this is why. It, you don't have to know that stuff. You just have to know what is traditional mule deer range. And that can just be done with a simple phone call to your biologist. And so, you know, a lot of people are like surprised. Wow, you write books and articles and you don't know all the stuff. Well, it's because I never had to. I didn't, there, there's, I mean, I don't need to go, you know, uh, memorize some you know, three-part Latin word of a plant. Um, you know, if you want to, you can, but I can show you where those plants grow based on just watching mule deer over the years and where they feed and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I get a lot of guys that don't live here that are, that ask me that question. And I'm like, no, nah, just, just skip that part and call the biologist and tell them you want to come to Idaho and you're going to hunt our general season, which in the majority of our state is October 10th to 24th. They're going to tell you where to start. And because you're hunting open country animals, then you just start with your glass and, 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 you know, I, I do a lot of tracking. I do stuff like that too, you know, but it's, it's not that hard to find them that I, that I've got to know the exact weed that they're eating. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, so I don't, I, that stuff's kind of all secondary to me. And I believe me, if I thought there was some magic to unlock there, I would be studying it all the time, but I just, I, you know, I've hunted mule deer clear up on the Canadian border and, 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 and uh, boreal forests, which are completely different than what's down here. And I killed a six-year-old deer. I didn't, I don't know what they ate. I just found open areas where the timber was broken and started looking for tracks. Plus I went with a friend um, who lived there and, you know, he narrowed down the country like, Hey, they've migrated out of these ranges. They're over here now. So that's how I approach it right there. You know, I think you can, you can really, really overthink this stuff. <laughs> and, um, and there's just so much information on, you know, traditional mule deer range and where to go and everything that that's, that's what I always push people towards. And, you know, just, just talk, just talk to your wildlife, your, to your, to your mule deer biologist, just about every region of a state going to have their own mule deer biologist. And, you know, in five minutes, they're going to be able to tell you, you know, all the, all the places to start. And if you're hunting at this time of year, go here. If you're hunting at this time of year, go here. You know, it's, it's not that hard to figure out. 
Nice. No, I think that's good, good information and a good, good way to look at it. You know, um, a lot, like you said, a lot of people can overcomplicate that and who knows, maybe I'm one of those guys that sometimes does that, but, uh, that, that's well, if you haven't been here, <laughs> you, you, you start to lean on that. Cause you're like, gosh, you know, I want to learn as much as I can. And, you know, th- you know, there's no fault in that. No, not at all. You know, but it's just like the guys that spend 40 hours on Google earth and then they come out here and they're still having a hard time finding deer. It's like, talk to the people. You know, just, just talk to the people you, that'll narrow it down. And, and once you've seen it, that's the thing that surprised guys, how little I used Google earth and, and maybe I should use it more. I don't know. But once I've seen a place and I've seen how mule deer, you know, what they're eating and, you know, I mean, I can just look at the color of the hill and the color of the vegetation and tell you, yeah, this has got potential here. I, you know, I need to get in there with my binoculars and look around and look for tracks and stuff. I could be wrong, but for the most part, I'm not. And so, so, you know, there's nothing wrong with overthinking it. I'm just saying that once you get out here, you're able to start putting the pieces together. It'll come together a lot faster than, than you probably think. That's interesting. Good to know. And if I, if I was coming to you're in Illinois, right? Yep. I was coming to Illinois, uh, the first thing I would be doing is calling the biologists out there and then asking them, where else can I get resources? And if it's all private land, then I got to get connected with guys that are hunting the private land, the farms, the stuff like that. But, you know, ultimately people are still going to be your best resource and that's going to shorten your learning curve a lot. And, and, um, you know, the buddy system, that's huge. If if, if you want to come out West and hunt mule deer, do the best you can to there's no shame in going with a guide. There is really not. And it's some very smart guys. I know have just decided, you know, I'm going to hire a guide for my first trip. They learn so much, you know, just hanging with somebody that's been here before they could do DIY hunts for the rest of their life. And they're going to get all that money back that they paid. But if that's not possible, you know, make, make a friend. When I killed that big buck in, um, up by Canada, I just made that friend over the internet. There's another good side of social media. I didn't know his guy. His name's Trevor, Trevor Carlson. I just said, I wanted to hunt up there. Can anybody share any information? Uh, he did. This was on monster muleys about 10 years ago and gosh, we became friends and, and the buddy system was just huge. I mean, he cut my learning curve down by, by weeks because I had never hunted Boreal deer. No way. You know, so, 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 to, you know, to your listeners and stuff, if you can just make a friend out there somewhere that can really, really help you. Yeah, no, I think that's good information. And I think that's something that's kind of, I will say with a lot of the stuff that mentorship seems kind of lost, like not as many people, I, maybe I'm wrong, but not as many people are reaching out or trying to do it because there are so many resources available at your fingertips now, but, um, or maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe people aren't as willing to help, but I'm sure they are if you ask them. So that's a good. That's uh, a you good know what? Point. That's a. We were talking about that earlier. That that's probably something that has changed. Is <coughs> excuse me. You don't have to have a mentor now. Where in 1975, you know, you kind of had to know somebody that hunted. There was there was nothing available. I mean, what were you going to read? There was, you know, there was one mule deer book out there that I could think of. <laughs> um, there was just not, there was no resources. And, you know, a lot of people, I mean, nobody called the biologist back then, you know, he was, that just, that's just not what you did. You know, Kurt Darner was the one that kind of popularized that. And, um, you know, now they have to have an information officer answering the phone so the biologist can actually get his work done, you know? And so that might be something that's changed right there is because there's so much information available. People don't, don't focus on getting a mentor, but I don't think that reduces 
the effectiveness of getting a mentor. I think, I think it could totally shorten your learning curve, even though all these books are available and all these internet resources and Google earth, just having somebody to kind of point you in the right direction. And cause if, you know, you had to do that before you, you did, it was pretty dang hard to, to hunt a place blindly, you know, 25 years ago and, and be successful at all. You had to, had to have some information from uh, from a live human yeah no so you hear that everybody reach out to robbie denning and ask him to mentor you <laughs> and, uh, oh, I, just... I answer as many instagram <laughs> uh and, and you you can vouch for me i answered yours right it I took absolutely. me a while but yep. i got it answered right no, it's all good yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding but no for real uh that that's a good thing to do that mentorship is great and i agree with you it cuts your learning curve way down I wish I would have had a mentor to learn how to uh, whitetail hunt instead of having so many mistakes on my own. And I'd probably have a bunch of booners on the wall by now, but um, sometimes, sometimes you don't always go that path, but it's a, it's a good path to go down for sure. Uh, Robbie, it's been great talking to you. And uh, before we go here, I'd love to just kind of tell everybody where they can find you, how they can, uh, if they need to reach out to you and where they can find your book. Yeah, you bet, dude. Uh, my book's on Amazon. It's called Hunting Big Mule Deer, How to Take the Best Buck of Your Life. I would love it if people got on there and uh, checked it out. You, you know, you don't even have to commit to buying it. You can just jump on there. Uh, they've got some uh, sample pages you can take a look at. Um, it is available on Kindle. In fact, if you want color pictures in your version, definitely go with the Kindle. The Kindle's dirt cheap, like 10 bucks, 12 bucks. It's, it's, it's not very much. And I think if you're on there, like their Amazon prime book club, you can get it for free. Um, and, uh, but we've got good old paper copy in there. Um, check that out. I'm working on a second book right now. Hope to have it out next spring. Um, we'll, um, I'll have more information on that as it kind of comes together. I'm writing every day right now on that, like six days a week. So we'll, we'll hope to have that. Um, I also, I'm the editor at rock slide. That's a large, uh, hunting Western hunting forum and it's spelled rock R O K slide.com. And, um, I'm the editor on there. You'll see me and my assistant editor, Justin Crossley. We're putting out, you know, two, three articles a week. They're typically gear reviews, stuff like that. Um, um, we've got a huge forum on there. I totally, that's another resource, you know, definitely join a forum. It's, it's a good resource to have. But as I said earlier in the podcast, it's not your only resource, but it's a good resource to have. I think a forum will help keep you current on current events and season changes and getting tags, you know, things like that. They're really good for that kind of stuff. Um, but you can connect with me on rock slide. You'll see me on there. Um, just search, search my name. I, I don't have a screen name. It's my real name, Robbie Denning. Um, I, I am on social media. I do my best to get all my, uh, my DMS answered. Um, you know, if you, if you hit me with a bunch of where to, I usually just kind of duck out of those because they just take too much time but you know just basic stuff you know saying hi whatever you know happy to try to try to help with any of that stuff too and you can just find me on uh, instagram or facebook under under robbie denning that's great robbie i appreciate it thank you for taking your time and trying to educate us a little bit and uh it's, it's been good talking to you sure thing thanks for having me on Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you could check us out on Instagram, 
or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.